Welcome to the Western North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, I really expected this episode to be a little more exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's because you expect something out of the transfer window. Have you not heard my mantra, which is not to expect anything out of the transfer window? Even expecting nothing, this was disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, many, many years of being an Arsenal fan, I know not to get too excited about it, but I know we're going to go much more into depth about this. Yeah, so I guess let's let's talk about drinks, and then we'll we'll get into get into things. What do you have? What do you have in your glass this week? Well, actually, so I'm going to crack this open. We had uh, someone from Holy Mountain stop by the brewery the other day. So I got one of their anniversary beers that they just released from Holy Mountain. It's called Throne of Blood, which is completely up my alley. (laughs) It has a rabbit attacking a centipede with arrows in it, which... And so it's a a German-style alt beer, and I'm really excited to try it out. I kind of saved it for uh, just this occasion, so... (laughs) For, For the transfer window blues... Yep. And it's exactly what you'd expect out of a Holy Mountain beer. Spectacular. If I haven't said it before, Holy Mountain is probably my favorite brewery in the state and is very close, if not my favorite brewery in the country. So, What is the style? It's a German alt? Alt. Uh, it's a, alt beers uh, come... I just watched a thing about beers. And so it comes from a part i believe it is a city in germany and i'm totally blinking on the city now that i have to talk about it and so it's a uh, pilsner-esque very light beer what's cool about alt beers is that uh the way they serve them traditionally is that you just have a pile of like 20 centilier glasses on the table and the the waiters just constantly fill up your beer and you just get like a, a tick on your coaster after you've finished or after you have a beer and you just turn in that coaster at the end of the night, and that's how they get your bill. It's a beer that you would hate. It's super light, low alcohol content, uh, very close to a Pilsner. I believe it is a style of lager. Like, yeah, it's 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 nothing you would love, but this is a well-crafted alt beer. That's for some people. That's, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be guy. for me. <laughs> I did the double IPA last week, and that's so right. I feel like I deserve a, a nice light <laughs> lager style beer swinging wildly from one end of the scale to the other (laughs) how about you what are you drinking uh i got something different this week i have a blood orange smith and weizen from crucible brewing in everett oh i i don't know if i'm gonna like this one either we'll see Mm. Oh, that, I, 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 you can't see the face, lovely listener, but that was not a good face. <laughs> I, I have, I'm okay with with hefts. I just don't really like the fruit with hef combo. Like it, I don't need an orange slice. I don't. I just, I can avoid fruit and beer altogether, and so yeah. um, it's not my favorite. But you know. 
like I said, th- there's, there's a beer for everybody. This one is just not for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely not Caleb's style. Like when you, when you said that it was going to be a, a half a white center, I was like, huh, oh, this is, I don't think this is going to be Caleb's beer. No. And that's okay. I, I, I went through my phase where I drank a lot of half bisons and they're, they're okay. They're, they're refreshing in the summer. I would go for, yeah. you know, a, a shandy with a half. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it sounds interesting having like blood orange with your Hefeweizen. And it's cause like it's traditionally lemon or like straight up just orange mm-hmm. having a, a blood orange seems interesting, but yeah, like I think in the dead of winter when it's, I don't know what's going on in Seattle, but it's snowing up here. So like, oh, is that- I, yeah, I don't, I don't associate, uh, Hefeweizen's with a summer or a winter beer. Yeah. It's definitely off, off season for this, this style. I need something heavier. Yeah. Keep me warm. I'll send you the uh, next double IPA I get. Your there way. we go. Send it by mule. <laughs> Beer mule. Air mule. <laughs> um, what do you got for Tim's bit this week? Well, I mean, I know we're going to talk a lot about the transfer window. I believe it's going to be dominating this podcast. <laughs> so be. why not uh, talk about it in Tim bit, which is uh, if you could change the transfer window to make it more fun, how would you change a transfer window to make it more fun? Oh, how would I make it more fun? You know, it would be, <laughs> it would all happen on one day. Mm-hmm. Every team would send a representative to an arena. They would hash it out live. You'd have teams running up to each other to make deals in person. And we can all see what's happening live as it's as it's going on so it's kind of it's kind of like uh the NFL draft a little bit except mm-hmm. every everybody's just trading with each other there's no drafting going on it's just a bunch of reps and agents running around an arena <laughs> and guys with cameras just following them all kind of like, like 24 hours stock exchange type of idea like a, a little bit yeah just just chaos um yeah. and then just a, a ticker showing all the money that's being spent. <laughs> and then you see the breakdown of teams, what they're spending, what they're doing. Um, yeah, I think I think you could really spice this up and, and just throw everybody into like a pit and, and watch them go at each other. That's funny. When, when you started talking, I like, I don't know, you obviously can't see me on the, uh, the, the listening side of things, but like my eyes lit up when you started talking about them going to pit. Cause I thought we were going to go like gladiator style where you like <laughs> give each team like a weapon and a style of fighting and whoever wants the player the most has to like fight for that player. Yeah. It's more just that they're, they're fighting with buckets of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that's less exciting than like actual blood sport for me. But maybe maybe, how... maybe we give them actual buckets of money and they can sling them around <laughs> and see what happens. Amazing. <laughs> or have it like uh, those like uh, boxes where you have like tons of money floating in the air. Like people have to gather the money to buy the players by doing that. Yeah. Oh, here we go. What if it's like uh, the um, do you watch Squid Game? Mm-hmm. They've got the big cash reserve that's just sitting above them at all times and everybody's just you know you're seeing the money pile up into the box <laughs> uh i think it says something about uh our view of soccer when we just are uh, talking about transfer window and money is the first thing that we talk about the players are secondary yeah <laughs> it's all just one big money thing 
It, it really is. But I'm surprised this hasn't happened yet. I mean, why haven't they monetized this event somehow? Yeah. It, the sponsorship would be crazy. Just yeah, exactly. get in on, on transfer day. I mean, the draft does that. Like, as far as I understand with the NFL draft, like they have this whole big deal with commercials and things, right? Yeah, but I don't, even that's not that exciting. I mean, it's hard to get excited about uh, unproven college players. So I feel like if you throw established players into the mix, it would be way more interesting. Well, you know, like the Indian leagues for like cricket and soccer, they have a thing where every player gets thrown back into a draft every year. So you have a team and you redraft the teams every year. So like you have a pool of players that are there and then everyone just redrafts the team every year. That's interesting. I I like I like the idea of like not having these um, dream teams. But then then again, you look at PSG and it's like, well, yeah, you can get a bunch of good players on a team. It doesn't mean they're going to play well together. So yeah. I don't know. It it uh, it can go both ways. You can have amazing teams that just click, and then you can't keep them together because you know, like once they have success, they they eventually want to cash in. So, you know, it's the, the best, the best teams, um, are usually like that sweet spot where you've just got that, uh, mix of established players and then young players that just happen to hit at the right time and it all comes together. But I, I think the, the teams that are just a bunch of like superstars more often than not, don't, don't necessarily play to the best of their potential because they're kind of running over each other. And yeah, it's. It, it doesn't always it doesn't always click, even if the talent is there. It doesn't always click, but they still get to a certain level. <laughs> you know, like yeah. there's a, those Real Madrid teams that were the the Galacticos. They still did all right. It wasn't like they got relegated. You know what I mean? No, but I mean that league is top heavy. It's yeah. you're, they're they're not going to have much competition in general. Yeah, and then you have like I mean PSG. What made the uh, Champions League final <laughs> very recently? I, but that I, I stacking all these teams at the top of leagues that just aren't that strong. Once you get past the first top two, three teams, it's it's kind of a shooting fish in a bucket sort of situation. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, making the Champions League final isn't uh, necessarily it's not easy. nothing. But I mean, like they're they're outspending their competition by yeah. leaps and bounds. So I mean, like they're they're gonna be. Uh, up there no matter what but i'm i'm saying like it doesn't necessarily just having the best players doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be at their best when they're playing together no totally you can you can see messy right now (laughs) and he's pretty messy (laughs) he's he's all right he'll be fine (laughs) he will be fine um okay transfer window let's not let's not put this off any further um I speculated we could wrap this up in about five minutes. <laughs> um, but you know, I I I don't want to I don't want to minimize this window because it's uh, it, it does have its impact. I see what you did there, by the way. <laughs> Computer joke. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's it's obviously. Uh, going to have an impact on on the arsenal team in uh maybe a different way than i expected (laughs) 
I don't know what I expected. I, I going into between when we talked last and the weekend, uh, I felt like my hope of anything happening was pretty diminished by Friday. I think I was like, well, there's absolutely no rumblings of anything happening. So if they pull something out, I'm going to be pretty shocked. And I, 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 at that point, I, I was like, this, this, nothing's going to happen, and I'm just going to set my standards pretty or set my expectations pretty low, and and hope hope that uh, I don't have something <laughs> horrible happen. Um, but I guess that's that, that depends on where you land on the abominating situation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you have two separate sides of the window. And I think mm-hmm. that's important to kind of make that separation, which is on the outgoing. I think the business was great. Mm. The outgoing, we did what we needed to do on the outgoing side of things. You know, we got rid of a lot of dead wood. I think uh, we, in some ways, strengthened by lessening. <laughs> we put ourselves in a great situation for next window if we're allowed to have the funds, which is a whole other conversation. But if the... If these funds from the outgoing sales, or at least the savings from the outgoing sales, go into a war chest as opposed to going into someone's pockets, I think it's good. The ingoing is, you know, another story. That's a, a you know, a whole lot of nothing really happened on the ingoing side of things. Yeah, we've got a bunch of questions, and they're pretty much all uh, regarding the uh, the transfers. So I, I will have to make sure we don't trample over these questions, or at least <laughs> we can sprinkle them in as we have our discussion and just kind of combine our questions with our discussion today. But, um, I think we should quickly cover the two, well, one, 1. 1.5, <laughs> maybe just 0. 0.5 <laughs> incoming transfers. Um, both of them coming from MLS, surprisingly mm-hmm. enough, um, I, and and I, on the surface, to me, these both feel like brand extensions more than actual <laughs> areas of need. Uh, maybe I, I think maybe Matt Turner seems more of a area of need than uh, another center back in Austin Trusty. I, I, it's not even made my radar and and I watch MLS, so I don't, (laughs) I don't even know who this guy is. Um, and he, he was the one that was owned by Colorado, right? Yes. He's a center back from Colorado. Apparently he's in the national team and, or has gotten called up at some point, but maybe not at the senior level. (laughs) That's a good, that's a question I should answer here. He is, he's a U20, uh, U20 international. So not a senior national team player yet. Um, but yeah, that, that part that one to me feels like KSE just testing the pipeline. Can we, can we get a player into Europe and cash in regardless of whether he ever plays for Arsenal or not? It kind of feels like they're just like using Arsenal as a conduit to get him alone in, in the European market. And then, seeing if they can make some money off of him that way. Or even just like puffing up a prestige thing of, uh, you know, like the, for the Colorado team, not for Arsenal, but prestige yeah. of like, 
hey, we have a player that's owned by Arsenal, da da da. Yeah, I mean that as again, like I'm not like the I follow the Sounders, but I don't follow MLS like religiously. Right. But he is definitely not bubbled up on my radar at all in any way. So I don't I mean, I know where it comes from, which is that like it's kind of like what Red Bull's been doing or other other ownership groups that have multiple teams around you just kind of float these players up and figure out how to make money off of them like stocks i guess yeah it's it it feels like it's not going to be consequential to arsenal at all like he's he's just kind of a footnote of here's a player we transferred in this window remember that when that (laughs) happened um i probably won't i probably will not I, i if if arsenal make money off of him great We'll take it, but I don't expect him to be in the Arsenal lineup at any point. Um, yeah, and then Matt Turner's not coming until the summer. So I don't even know if that's like a pre-contract. I don't even think it got really announced. I think it was just, it's... It's not a pre-contract. From what I understand how it's structured is they were bought and then loaned, directly loaned back is how okay. I got it. I could be wrong on that. Did this Arsenal one, even announce it? I, I didn't see anything right, I mean, from I haven't them seen, about it. As I say, I never trust anything until I see a player in a, with a scarf in hand. But <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think this one makes a little bit more sense, which is we all are pretty sure that Leno is going at some mm. point. Yep. We do need a backup keeper. He's starting for the U.S. national team. I just watched him play against Honduras before we started recording this podcast and he had zero shots in goal. I don't think he really impacted or touched the ball more than twice. Like (laughs) I'm sure starting goalkeeper for the U S national team. U S has a very strong history of producing some really good goalkeepers as a backup. It's kind of the perfect backup situation, which is like, I don't think he has a lot of expectations of a lot of games, but he has a lot of high potential. So sure. But I don't think it was the sexiest, sexy like signing that we were all hoping for, to be honest. Yeah. I kind of looked at him a little bit, you know, his distribution is, is decent in the medium to long range. And I think that fits well with what Arsenal is trying to do. And uh, I'm not really sure about how he plays with the ball at his feet, which I think is a, a key to upgrading on Leno. Uh, so we'll see. I, he obviously has made a name for himself. Um, you know, he, I, I, he went undrafted and worked his way up to the national team starting spot. And that's not nothing. And now to get looked at by Arsenal, I think is, uh, you know, I, I, I think they're, Recruiting in the goalkeeping department has been hit and miss uh, lately. So I don't know if this is going to be uh, a hit or a miss. And it's it's kind of a weird situation because um, with Leno and uh, Ramsdale, it was kind of like, well, when Ramsdale came in, he's going to he's going to push Leno and they're going to compete. And then it was just like, oh, well. It's Ramsdale. He's just he's just better. Like we yeah. just everybody kind of knew it once he got established. Uh, there wasn't really much push from Leno to g- regain his starting spot, and I don't really think Turner's going to come in and push for a starting position either. Uh, but at, you know, at twenty seven, he's young, young for a goalkeeper. He's still got uh, 
years ahead of him. I think he's going to push to try to go elsewhere. You know, I think like for him, this is a stepping stone to something else maybe in Europe. So I, it's, for him, I think he's, he's going to, he's going to push in a different way. And I think he, it, 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 it's good competition for Ramsdale and will probably, um, you know, he'll take the cup competitions and I think we'll, we'll be fine. And I'm not super worried about that being a big step down or anything like that. So, you know, as a, as a backup signing, it's, it's solid enough and we'll, we'll take it, I guess, (laughs) since there's not much else to be excited about right now. I just like, uh, I, I, for me, it was just like when you're looking at what we needed to sign, I think backup, backup goalkeeper wasn't necessarily on my, my high list. And so that, that was underwhelming. But other than that, I think it's, it's a fine sighting. It's a fine winter sighting, which I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the window and what we expect out of it, but like, fine, sure. Is my grade on it? I think you can look at the incoming and outgoing list and say every single one of these players is a move in the direction of, of, of shoring up funds and freeing up funding and, and solidifying who the starters are. And, um, like you said, the, the war chest is there. I, if you look at it, we, we can go through the outgoings real quick. Like the, um, Ainsley Maitland Niles loaned out to Roma early in the, in the window. Uh, we already talked about that a bit. Uh, just a 500 K fee for that one. Um, no option or obligation to buy, uh, Kalasnat is gone, signed with Marseille. Um, Callum Chambers sold to Austin Villa almost overnight, just out of the blue. He's He is gone. The Chambers has moved on. <laughs> uh, undisclosed fee, some were saying $2 million, you know, almost nothing. He, he was going to be... Apparently, Arsenal had an option to... Or an option for an additional year that they did not exercise in December when they had the chance, and so he was going to go for free in the uh, summer. So I guess getting something for him is better than nothing, even if it is only a couple million. I mean, just to quickly touch on that, I saw that article, and again, I'm not like a finance whiz, but I think it was the right decision by Arsenal because I think if you exercise that option, no one's going to buy him for that higher price. So I think it's. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was very much on pers- purpose with Arsenal, which is that, like, you know, get them out when you can as opposed to putting some sort of, you know, just having them hang around again. Yeah. The, uh, inflating a price tag if, if there's not a high demand for a player doesn't make, make a ton of sense. And I'm sure they had already seen the demand for him in previous windows when he may have had a higher price tag. So this was probably as good as it was going to get. Um, Pablo Marie loaned out to uh, Udinese. I always, I never know if I'm pronouncing things right. Close enough, yeah. Close enough. Don't, don't hate on me. And if you do, you know, you try pronouncing everything correctly. No, I mean, our, <laughs> our, our legions of Italian fans can uh, write in. And, they're uh... they're going to come after me, believe me. Um, and the, yeah, of course, the big one being Aubameyang. And that, I don't think anybody should be surprised by Aubameyang leaving. I think th- we can have a, a very, I think we should have a big 
conversation about this because this is probably the most impactful thing to happen in the uh, transfer window here. But his contract was terminated and ends up going on a free to Barcelona. Um, and really, like I, it's kind of a similar situation to Callum Chambers. I think you look at what people were going to offer or what what the market was for a player that had the salary of Aubameyang and it's very limiting in what people are willing to do for you um, as far as the loan or anything else. Like I'm sure anybody who was sniffing around was like expecting Arsenal to pick up a majority of that that salary. And with how public the fallout was with, with between Aubameyang and, and Arteta, I think they were kind of in a, 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 in a tough spot. I mean, everybody knew where Aubameyang stood, that he wasn't going to easily make his way back into the lineup. And so Arsenal really didn't have a, a ton of, of leverage there. They, they, you know, if, if any team was going to come in, they were going to say, okay, well, you obviously don't want him. Uh, and you'd love to get his salary off the books, but we don't want to pay it. So, you know, I, I, it, it didn't leave them with a ton of options except to terminate his contract. Yeah, I mean, I think more than anything, it's just a really damning indictment about that contract that he signed. And I'm, mm. forgive me if I'm wrong, and I could very well be wrong, and I should do more research for these pods. But that that contract was during the same time that we sold or we signed. Uh, what's his name from Chelsea? Uh, I've already forgot his name. Uh, William. William if not the same window under the same uh, management. And it's just like, it's such a damning indictment to the back office that we're having to c- cut these contracts, get these players out of, off of our books more than anything. It's, it's, I don't blame the player at this point. I don't blame the manager. I do blame the back office for that, that getting zero value off of that, that, uh, that contract. Yeah. I, hmm. On one hand, I agree. I agree. Like it's it is a shame that a player of his caliber can go to Barcelona while under contract with us and has had no nothing to show for it. Um, but on the other hand, I, I feel like this is an indication that they have figured some things out. Like this window has shown that yes, they are having to pay for some mistakes. I think there has been, you know, as as Mertesacker said recently, they, you know, when they, there was a period where Arsenal lost their way in their transfers and their op- their mode of operations. They they were not making smart choices, and I think they're paying. They they have to pay the price for that, but. but- do you mind? I'm sorry. Sorry oh, to interrupt, but no, I like, I, I understand what you're saying, but I think we should have learned that lesson with Azul. And mm-hmm. you, you could say that, yeah. that, that, that was the, the time where you, you learn from your mistake and you have to cut off Azul. But the fact that like this contract was signed well after we cut off Azul and this contract was made means that like they didn't learn their lesson. And they, you can say, Oh, we've, we have to pay for our mistakes, but I don't know. Like, it, what's the next contract that's going to happen? Like, I, I, I have a little bit less trust in it because this is the second time this has happened, and they haven't learned previously. 
I do think though that with the like I I don't I think the Obama thing was a a bombing thing was a a matter of poor timing because when that contract was was signed we're in maybe one of the worst markets as far as finding a player of his caliber and you know I think to retain his his services, they had to pay quite a bit, and I think that was um, only done because the options out there were non-existent. Like it, just in the in the COVID market as it was, they did what they had to do to maintain some continuity to keep keep things moving in the right direction. And he was coming off of a stellar season. I mean, he pretty much single-handedly won the FA Cup for us. So I, I it, it, it wasn't without merit. But yes, there, you know, all things being equal, I think if you take away the marketplace and all those things, that was not, you know, you should know better. But... And, and the things that Arsenal does know better that, you know, it was a very strong thing under Wenger and possibly something mm. we should have really do, which is don't sign players over 30 to long-term contracts because the data is out there that they fall off a cliff very quickly mm-hmm. after 30. For the most part, there are, there are players that they exception, but a vast majority of the players fall off a cliff sooner rather than later after 30. And I know I, we talked about it when the, the contract was happening mm-hmm. and it proved to be true. And I mean, like I, I wish the best for him in Barcelona when he's not playing Arsenal and and all that, but I don't have a lot of confidence that he's going to do well there. Even like, I think, you know, he's hit kind of a plateau and you shouldn't be signing these players to long-term contracts after they turn 30. It just, it should be a very simple thing. I'm going to throw in this question from, uh, Jonathan King Monilis, uh, he says, in five years, are we going to remember Oba for breaking protocol, sometimes to party, but also to be with his sickly mom, or for putting the team on his back and carrying us to an FA Cup? I think the leading nature of this question tells you where <laughs> I stand. <laughs> I, I, it, it's a great question, Jonathan, but uh, no, I don't think we're going to be mad. I don't think, I mean, I think it's funny. Like I was trying to think about uh, Robin Van Persie because I have a very strong dislike for Robin Van Persie still, but I know a lot of Arsenal fans don't. I think time's going to heal a lot of wounds. I don't think what he did was that disrespectful or bad. I think it was just at a certain point we were both, both parties were done with each other. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, a breakup, you know, at some point, sometimes your relationships don't work out and you just have to move on. I'm, I think I, I'm already at the point where I, I think of him fondly. And I, as I said, like, I'm not, I hope he does really well at Barcelona. I hope he turns that t- team around and I, uh, I, I want nothing but the best for him, but he was not fitting in an arsenal at this point. Yeah. I don't, I don't dislike him. I like, I, I, I like everything he has done for arsenal. I just, I, you know, it's, it's, this team has not fallen off a cliff by taking him out of the lineup, by removing him as a captain. Um, he wasn't he wasn't providing anything in the in the pro column. It was more a, 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 
I'm not saying he was negative behind the scenes, but it, at the very least, he was a distraction. Well, I mean, I, I think also you have to manage expectations and have realistic expectations. This is something I try and do in life and when I follow a soccer team. And one of the realistic expectations is that he never should have been captain. Mm, yeah, he, he he doesn't have the qualities to be captain, and it was like a. It was, I think I'm pretty sure it was part of resigning him was to give him the captainship, but it puts unrealistic expectations on him. But if you if you would pull away the captainship debacle, yeah, he just needed to move on, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we can. We can say this is this is addition by subtraction. We and we get so much money back into our coffers. It's like mm-hmm. millions a week or something ridiculous. Um, so it's it's going to help the team in the long run. It leaves us thin, but the reality was he probably wasn't going to come back into this lineup very easily. So I think. This was this was best for all parties, even though it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and even if he was coming back, it, you know, despite his tardiness and uh, you know him going back to his mom and his uh, malaria, there are definitely things out of his control. Some things possibly in his control, but uh, regardless of that, it wasn't like he was been performing for the last two years. It's not like you know when I look at him and his goal scoring record, I'm like, it's definitely replaceable, if not you know, forgettable over the Mm -hmm. last two years. Yeah. I think you look at what the, what we could do with the money we were paying him and the, you know, just cutting that, that contract down now, all the money we're saving between now and the end of the season will pay for a player or two. (laughs) You know, that's, those are big transfer fees that we could pay for. I mean, if the money doesn't go straight into Cronkreeve's pocket, like, they, these are all the. I just don't. Ideas. I don't buy that, though. I mean, there's been the, the any any indication that he's he's like skimming a big chunk of money off out of Arsenal. You know, like the finan- the financials don't prove out that that's necessarily happening. I think they will they will invest the money because they have to if they want to make Champions League, which is where the money is actually at. Like they're not making a ton of money off of this, so why would you take money out now? when that would only hurt you longer. I'm just going to put a pin on like <laughs> and see what happens in the summer. Cause if we have another incoming, like we did this one, then we can start talking about it. And I don't want to kick that can too far down the road that, you know, the excuse for this window is that there was, this is for going forward. And I, I do buy that excuse, but I just want, don't want to give it a free pass. You know what I mean? Well, I, I I think you gotta look if if you're looking at why they didn't go out and get somebody. I mean, you you look at Isak and 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 the the uh, the uh, rumor coming out of that situation is that they saw the um why am I blanking on the words here the uh, release clause. There we go. The release clause for him was w- way outside of what his actual value was. So like, I get that. That makes a ton of sense. If you're going to go after a player, make sure you're spending the right amount of money. Don't do, they'll pull another Pepe, you know, <laughs> like make sure the player value matches what you're going to be spending on them. Um, so like if that's one of your main targets, 
And your other one is Flahovic, who clearly did not want to play for Arsenal and was holding out for Juventus. That makes sense why that, you know, why nothing happened if your two main targets are, um, you know, just not available to you. Uh, good. You, you didn't you didn't force something to happen. I had not That's not to say that there wasn't something they could have done on the striker situation, but you look at the names that are out there, you look at the opportunities that are available and if it doesn't make sense then don't don't force it wait wait and 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 reload in the summer there's nothing to say that we can't make a run with what we have and forcing a player to come into this team that isn't necessarily what you want or need um you know we've made that mistake before so i I, you know lesson it, it it may be difficult in the short term but at least that lesson has been learned and they're not going out and signing a Cedric or a Pablo Marie or you know trying to get a William type player into the team in a tra- in a winter transfer window um you know it's uh it, it's hopefully a sign that they've learned some things and are making better decisions now how that plays out in the summer will be um the the real the real proof that they've actually they're actually moving on and, and making smart, smart buys. You know, that's, that's the key because not doing anything like you could attribute all the lessons learned that you want, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. Yeah. I mean, I, I a hundred percent agree that I think, uh, I am a very big advocate of this is a stupid window to buy in, in general. I think, uh, the winter transfer market is strewn with horrible mistakes, uh, I'd rather us wait, at, hold out for better, better deals and better players, and not make a panic buy, which is what this window is all about. And the summer window is going to definitely be a much better window to buy from. I think uh, so. I, in general, I'm okay with it. I think the problem is with the amount of players leaving. We are very thin coming into a second part of the season where we have a lot of games to play. And I know we're going to have, because of the games we've missed because of COVID and other things, we're going to have a lot of games in a short amount of time. And there's some positions like striker that we are very thin at. And I hope we just don't regret those decisions. Yeah. I think, you know, though you're looking, I, I, you're looking at a, a single competition. Um, maybe we there's there's a couple of questions we could we could answer in here. Um, let's uh, let's let's talk about Jasmine Nicole's question here. Um, considering what the the schedule is and not having to compete in Europe or domestic cups, do we have a realistic chance of top four spot with the squad that we have now? Do you think that's that's a reasonable expectation with the thinness? Expectation might be too strong, but I think it's a reasonable goal. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's out of reach for the squad that we have. If you actually look at the the teams around us, no one's strengthened hardcore. There's no huge movement that happened around the teams that we are competing for that fourth spot for. Granted, some of them have a little bit more depth than we do, but... I think you can be hopeful for that fourth spot, but I think the transfer window didn't help us necessarily reach for that fourth spot. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's I'm I'm glad that there wasn't a ton of movement. Um, seemed like the the most movement was with like Newcastle, who's just trying to stay out of relegation. So I'm not super worried about them. But you know, it's um, it's still going to be difficult. I think there's like we were talking about before the the transfer window closed. The obvious, the most obvious holes in this team were at striker and at center, central midfield. And that was at the beginning of the season. Still holds true. Will hold true through the end of this season. Um, so there's concerns there. And and not not addressing either of those is concerning. Um, I think it does, with the outgoings and, and where we've, you know, been a little bit dry in the January, uh, pretty much the entire month as far as goal scoring, there needs to be um, maybe some creativity, you know, like maybe you throw Pepe up front, maybe you play Martinelli up front just to change things up. Um, I don't expect that to happen unless somebody gets injured. But, you know, it, it's we do have options if things got bad. Um, I don't I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope that getting the team back at full strength, you know, getting our players back from AFCON, getting players back from COVID, getting some injuries healed up and, and having a uh, a good camp at, at Dubai. I think they could come back and be as strong as we've seen them all season. Uh, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that top four is, is written in stone by any means. They're still going to have to battle and they're going to have to really do win a good chunk of the last 17 games. Um, but at their best, we have a really good starting lineup and that hasn't changed. And I mean, you mentioned AFCON and I've been watching a lot of AFCON. And if you haven't been watching the AFCON, you've been missing out on some really great games. But uh, watching El Nenny play in the AFCON, again, it's kind of like Jaka with the Swiss national mm. teams. Watching El Nenny play for the Egyptian national team is insane. That man is like, uh, I mean... He's just as uh, like such a firebrand, such a a leader on the pitch, and so hopefully, I th- he when Egypt comes back, either through you know in the next week they should be back no matter what. It, it he'll bring some of that fire back to the team and kind of bring that form with him. And the same with Pepe. Pepe's look good in the African Cup of Nations, and so hopefully, some of that confidence can be brought back to to the league yeah i pepe i have high hopes for and el nanny too i mean, we're gonna need him with ainsley maitland niles being um chipped off i i think uh we'll see more el nanny we'll see him hopefully you know i, I don't want to knock samba the conga at all but i think we need we need some depth there that can come in off the bench and rotate with with uh, Jaka and Party because obviously they're having a tough time staying in the starting lineup, whether it's injury or red cards. So you know we need we need strong players that can back those positions up. Um, so having El Nani in our ranks is is an excellent option, and I've never never doubted his skills by any means. He just isn't uh, hasn't really been uh, a starter on this team, but anytime he does come in and play, I've never worried about his. Uh, commitment. I think the um, 
the piece that we're always missing with him is that he he tends to be a little conservative with his passing, and we need some more progressive, um, uh, more of a progressive partner with him that can move the ball forward a little bit more. But he's always he always plays safe, and that's fine. I, I think we need that sometimes. So, um, you know, I, I, I I'm glad if he's feeling rejuvenated and confident and, and can come back. Same with Pepe. I feel like he's a player that thrives on on confidence and form. And if he can come in and, and push Saka and, and get some more minutes, whether that's as a um a rotational option or playing up front. Um uh, I you know I was looking at his uh his history to see like what his um his his goal scoring was as a as a striker. It, it, you know he had been played that in that position in the past, but not very often. And it's not prolific by any means. He's definitely a much stronger player off the right wing. Um, but I didn't realize that one of the main people to uh, convert him or play him as a center forward was uh, Bielsa. I just didn't I didn't make that connection that he was the uh, coach at Lille when Pepe was playing. Or when Pepe, right before Pepe had his really good season there, uh, before coming over to Arsenal, and you know Arsenal has a, a a little bit of a history of converting wingers into very prolific strikers. So who knows? Yeah, I he's uh, he he didn't have like a, an amazing run there, um, but I, I think it's interesting that Bielsa saw something in him that made him think he could be a, a striker, and he scouted him pretty heavily. From what it, it sounds like, when he was at. Uh, and Jer, um, so, you know, Bielsa personally brought him over to Lille and that was, uh, you know, maybe, maybe a game changer in his career. Cause that got him a pretty big contract, <laughs> um, at Arsenal, not, not too much longer after that. And I think he was the next season, uh, second only to Mbappe in, in Ligue 1. So that was, you know, Pepe has a, an interesting history, and I, I hate to see him just get squandered on Arsenal. I hope they can find a way to get get something out of him because I do feel like he has really strong second halves of seasons. No, definitely. And maybe a, a change of position might not be the the worst thing for him just to, to shake him up a little bit. And we've seen, you know, if it's not him playing up top, we know Martinelli's been in that conversation um, you know, maybe he gets, you start rotating Pepe in on the left wing because we've seen him play over there as well. Um, and, and putting, pushing Martinelli up a little bit higher, seeing how he does up top, but it, it there's, there's a lot of things that could be done. It just, it, it all, it all comes down to what, what sort of appetite, uh, Arteta has for, for changing things up. If it feels like that's necessary or if you, you stick with what worked and, and hope that, you know, getting, getting your best 11 back and in form and, and ready to go is, is really what this team needs. And maybe we can explain away the poor January form and, and get back to what was working back in December. I mean, it's pretty interesting when we've been talking about stri- strikers that like we really haven't been talking about in at all in that, that <laughs> yeah. position. I would play, I'd rather play a guy out of position than play in Kedia right now. <laughs> I mean, that's where I am at, but it doesn't seem like, like the Arteta is in that same, same boat. It's, it really does mm. seem like Arteta has some sort of belief in Kedia and I'm just, I'm, I'm failing to see it. And, but I know that Arteta has been playing him. Like, you know, <laughs> he's, he's been not trying to sell him. So 
Yeah. He seems to be swayed by how players are doing in training. And so I'm sure Enkedi is a hard worker and does well. But if it's not translating from practice to games, then you got to go with something else. I mean, it's got to it's got to be consistent when you get to actual games as well. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. I want to I want to wrap up the transfer window to discussion uh, with Avi Epstein's question, which is, was this transfer window a success or a failure? That's always a fun question. It's always an interesting question. I think that's a question that should be answered a year from now more than it should be answered. We should actually put a, a little pin in it mm-hmm. and get back to it next year. I think on the out, on the outset, just the and my initial thing is that it's not a failure. I don't think this window was a failure at all. It, there were certain goals that were met, and I, we've talked about it. I think our outgoing players is exactly what needed to ha- happen. I think we made a, quite a bit of uh, headway on salary, on the budget, freeing up money. As far as signings, it wasn't ideal. But the nice thing about not making a ton of signings is that we didn't make any bad signings. We didn't get a player that wouldn't fit in on huge wages type of thing. So that that could very well be a positive. I, again, we'll see at the end of the year where we end up. If we end up uh, lower than you know, eighth place, ninth place, we obviously would have needed to strengthen during this window. But if we can push forward and if, especially if we still get fourth at the end of this, I think it would be a huge success. I say if we even got fifth, it would be a success because to not, to not reinforce and still stay in that, in, in the European places, I think is, um, like best case scenario. Well, best case scenario is, is, is obviously champions league, but you know, it, it, if we can, at least limp into that fifth fifth slot i'd be i'd feel okay you know that with that having not done anything really in this window yeah i mean like what what are your thoughts is this a success a failure i I think you're right it's not something we can decide right now i would say the deciding uh time frame is realistically a year but you know what we do in the summer how we spend the money that we saved by cutting ties with the bombing and um, letting some other place players go. I mean, it, obviously there it, it's not just a bombing salary that we're saving by loaning out players and getting rid of players. So uh, it's uh, what we do with that money that will really decide whether this was a success. And um, I, obviously like Vlahovic was, is, is off the table Um Isak is still out there. And if they can get him for less than his release clause, I think that that would be a success because I'm sure Real Sociedad is going to be more uh, amenable to negotiating when they have time to go out and find a replacement. So if if that's in the cards, if if the player's in, interested in coming to Arsenal and they can make that happen, I think that looks like a smart bit of business if, if if kicking the can gets you saves you money and gets you closer to what his actual valuation is that that's smart um but you know f- how how we fill in those gaps how we actually use that money to reload and 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 
build that depth up again, that's going to be the real deciding factor on whether this was the smart move because we're pretty much kicking the can to the next window. Um, I'm just, I might go off on a little bit of a ramble on this, but uh, the Vilvoch, uh, how do you pronounce his name? How are you pronouncing it? Vlahovic. Vlahovic. Transfer is, or Saga is exactly why I hate transfer windows and I have very little like care to follow these rumors because I, that was never going to happen. He was never going to go to Arsenal and I just, I can't care about that type of a type of rumor and I just can't get into it when, when people talk about it. Yeah. And it, it was, it was going to be a perfect storm if that actually happened. And I think the writing was on the wall when there was very little, um, interest coming out from the players camp. I mean that, that if, if you're not hearing anything positive or any, any movement, then obviously it's, it's not it's not the right player for you. I, I think that's that's something that Arteta has expressed in the past that if if a player is right for Arsenal, he'll want to come play for this team and you shouldn't have to convince them. Like they'll they'll understand what it means to play for Arsenal and they'll just do it. And that's it, it shouldn't matter whether we have Champions League or whatever it is that they um are are wanting. They should want to come fight for that here you know that that's that's ultimately what you want is a player that wants to come fight with the team that's that's available no matter what the other incentives are like it shouldn't matter what the money is or you know i mean obviously it matters what the money is but i mean like coming to a team and understanding that they will take that team to the next level and 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 get to the champions league and trying to build their career with the team that's the kind of player that you want and you should hold out for. And if it's not happening, then don't, you can't force that or else you're just asking for trouble. Yeah. And, uh, just, this is where we get to the, my favorite part of the year, which is there's no talk about transfers. There's nothing you can do to strengthen the team. What you need to do is use the players that you have and figure out the tactics to get us to where we want to go. And so I'm, I'm very excited about this next part of the year. Now it's, the die is cast and now we just have to figure out what we're doing. Yeah. I had to look up, uh, Isaac's, uh, valuation on trans transfer marked real quick. Just, uh, 44 million. <laughs> I mean, compared to his release clause, which is 75. Yeah. I mean, there's no, like I, as someone who loves the Swedish national team would love to have a Swedish player on, on, uh, Arsenal. There's no reason he should be getting 75. No, it's, 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 it's crazy. He's has a lot of promise. I think that there's a lot of upside to him and maybe in 10 years we'll look back and like laugh at the fact that it was 75, but for your guaranteed results, that's way too much. Right. Yeah. It's the summer's going to open things up. We obviously have to buy more than one striker. So I, if we're going after him, you know, for the the cost of what his uh, release clause, you you could hopefully get him plus a second striker. You know, I mean, or that 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 cost difference can go towards multiple other players and help reinforce this team. So it's it, it's when you're looking at whether this was a success or failure, 
overall, you're still looking at a project that is spanning multiple transfer windows. You know, the, the, I, I don't know when they would mark the beginning of this project. If, if it was everything under Arteta, then we could say it started as a failure and now they've, they've figured some things out in the last window and they're getting things on track. And, and maybe by not doing anything, they're, they're setting themselves up for a big summer window. And that, that's my hope. And, and if they, they continue the trend that they, the trend line that they started last summer and, and, go out and make six big signings again, or, you know, that was a, that was a big, big window. And, and I think if they're sticking to their guns and want to get the, get the player, the right players for this team, I'm all for that, but we have to wait and see how that plays out. And, uh, I think we'll, we'll circle back to this, this conversation again, uh, you know, summertime and, and when, when things really start heating up and, we can look back and say, "Hey, that was that was really really smart to not not do anything this time around." I mean, I, I I do think not making a panic buy is a good thing. Sometimes it's better to not do the 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 worst thing and just kind of just keep it chill. So, yeah. All right, we should uh, we should take a little break, and and when we come back, we'll answer a couple more of your questions and wrap things up for the for this episode. So stick with us, and we'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back. We've got a couple more questions for you. So, Tim, take it away. So, uh, Jonathan, friend of the pod, Jonathan, asks, uh, Captain Tyranny going forward? Well, I think, you know, without Aubameyang in the picture, nothing has really changed because he wasn't really in the picture before. (laughs) I mean, it's so it's it's to me, it's Lacazette still. That's... um, you know, there's the leadership committee or group that they have and, and sure it'll bounce around. We'll see Xhaka taking up that, uh, armband sometimes, um, holding occasionally, uh, next season it's all bets are off. I don't know who, who it will be. I really like, since we had this conversation last, I've really been watching, uh, Ben White, Benny Blanco, um, (laughs) And uh, the more I watch him, the more I see how he carries himself. I'm like, yeah, I think that that could be a guy that is in contention. Um, and 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 Tierney could be in that group. I don't know, um, but we also don't know what our team is going to look like going into next season. Um, so I I don't know. I th- I would say for this for this season, we'll probably see mostly Lacazette taking that armband. Uh, and when they reassess, I imagine we'll, we'll see, uh, Tierney and Odegaard and, um, Ben, Ben White in that, in that conversation as, as, as well as others that will probably come in and be in the mix. Cause I, I, I would imagine Arsenal's going to, as they go to reinforce, they're going to try to get some, a, a little bit of, of senior player, senior players in, in the mix, because if you're, Losing a Bomiang, you're losing uh, Lacazette, 
you're, you're, you're losing a lot of that, that, uh, stability that comes from having, uh, established players and you, you probably want to sprinkle in a couple of those uh t- to round out the mix it, it, maybe they maybe they want to go all young but I, I i have a hard time seeing that so i would imagine that somebody else is going to come in and, and want to be uh captain or you know you want somebody that could be a captain to come in and fill those roles yeah i mean i think uh for me, it's a no-brainer that Lacazette really takes it to the end of the year. I think despite his goal-scoring record, he has shown the passion on the field and the leadership on the field and probably behind the locker room as well to make it easy. I don't know if we see Lacazette after this year. I would personally prefer not unless it was a one-year contract, which I don't think he would sign. But going forward, Ben White, yeah, I could see that. Jaka. Yeah, despite some obvious <laughs> objections to that. Uh, and again, Ramsdale. I think Ramsdale, although having a goalie captain isn't necessarily ideal, I think he shows a lot of those uh, qualities that you do want in a captain. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last question for this episode. Uh, we have one more from Avi Epstein. And it kind of, it, it's a, it's a summarizer. <laughs> what are your standards slash expectations for Arsenal for this season and for the future? Curious for your perspective. I know where I stand, but it's way too much to write. <laughs> I think I keep on going back to when we had our episode at the beginning of the season, what was my minimum expectation? And I said, fighting for Europe and you know, being better than we were last year. And I think that is kind of just my minimum expectation of the team. Anything above that, I think, is gravy for this season particularly. Uh, It's uh, for the future. I want constant growth and very specific, like it's very easy to, to measure this growth, which is that our place in the table has to be higher going forward. We need to be higher than eighth place this year, and we need to be higher than that the next year. Once we break into the top four, it gets a little bit more clouded, but though that's that's my expectation, is that there's constant improvement and we're go- moving towards a team that is competitive for the title and competitive in the Champions League and winning everything we see. I think that there's no reason not to expect that. Yeah, I've been thinking a little bit about this. Um and and there there is kind of like a short-term and long-term viewpoint here. Uh for now, I think short-term it would be super super nice if we could figure out a way to be in European contention by the end of this season. I'm not sticking to Champions League. I don't think that's uh an expectation by any means. I think if we can get Europa League, I'd be content to get back into that and and work our way back uh, a little bit more slowly. But I think we're we're in a good position to end up in that top five. Uh, and I, I I expect that with this team, with the way that they have played this season, that that should be uh, 
a goal at this point to, to finish in the top five. But I think if you were to talk to anybody in the organization, they would say, well, it, it was never in, it, our intention to be that good this fast. I think when you're, when you're signing six players in the off season, the, the expectation would be, yes, we're going to see improvement, but you, you never know how long that's going to take. You've got a new goalkeeper. You've got basically a whole new defense. Um, and the pieces are there, but I think they, they knew that there were pieces missing really. If you're going to make a all out push to get into champions league, um, you needed more. And the only maybe one of the only reasons that we're even where we're at is there was, you know, uh, better, uh, gains from that group than they expected, you know, faster uh, turnaround than they expected. But also the teams around us are, have not been as good. You've got Tottenham regressing, uh, Man United regressing. Uh, Chelsea has been hot and cold, but, you know, the the teams around us have not made huge strides and, and have not solidified their positions this year. So it, it put us into an unexpected spot. And maybe you can take advantage of that and, and get there sooner than you thought. But I think the reality is there's still a lot of work to do to redevelop this lineup. And, the, you know, the midfield and that, that basically the whole offensive part of the field needs reworking. And that may not be as easy and we'll have to kind of see if that can come together as, as nicely as the defense did. But um, when, when I think of what the future expectation should be and what I want for Arsenal overall is that when, when you go to a player like Vlahovic or anybody else that is, you know, uh, a high profile signing that there isn't this question of whether they should sign for Arsenal anymore. I want to get to the point where Arsenal has the respect and the admiration that they once did. And that doesn't really happen overnight. That doesn't happen until you've really gotten into the Champions League and and actually pushed the team further and and earned that respect back. I, I think that the historical respect, this idea that Arsenal has been this great team for many years only lasts for so long. And now we're kind of seeing that that has faded. And just, I I, I want other people to have the uh, love and admiration for Arsenal without having to feel like it's uh, undeserved or anything. You know, I, I feel like it, it, it needs to get um reestablished as that that uh dominant team that it once was and some of the things like you know arsenal soft arsenal are cheats like these things that don't really fit our club i want those things to go away and they may never go away but um you know i i i feel like there's these side conversations these things that have detracted from what arsenal can and should be and uh 
my hope for the future would be to finally put together a team that feels like it, it, it deserves the respect. And it's not just something that we feel like we earned a long time ago and should carry forward in perpetuity. I feel like we have to earn it with the team that we put out on the field and the actions that we take. And I, I'm hoping that Arteta is getting us on that path. I'm hoping that this ownership understands that that is important and that they're making the right decisions to get, get us on that road again. And it's not going to be a, an easy fix, but I see some glimmers. I see some things that look like they could be going in the right direction, but like your, (laughs) your comment about, you know, KSC pocketing the money. It's like, well, that, those sorts of things, those sorts of ideas don't go away until they consistently do the right thing. And so that takes a lot of time to get those ideas to disappear. Yeah, exactly. It's a, I mean, it's at the point where, you know, currently I have a friend who is a Man City fan and like, it's, it's hard to talk trash with him, you know, like it's hard to like, you know, compare. And I, I do want to get back to that point where like, and I think it's reasonable to think that we can get back on that path of being as good, if not better than any other team in the world. And I think the last seven years, 10 years, even we've been in on this late, the, the, the slow, slow decline. And a lot of it has to do with how football has changed or soccer has changed and how, uh, how the money in the sport has really changed everything. But I, I do see a way forward and I'm hopeful that this ownership though, I do not like the Cronkies as human beings, but that's a whole another story. Uh, but, uh, they have the money that in which they could invest and there is a way forward. And it's just, you know, we're, we're, we're very much at a sliding doors moment too. We may, it may be a point where we could slide into that mid table obscurity or even worse. And I hope that isn't the case. I hope that we have the ambition. I hope the ownership has the ambition and I hope the fan base still keeps with the ambition of this is a project to move us forward to back to the championship. Yeah. It's not just about getting back into champions league. It's, it's about pushing for that title. Uh, champions League's just that first step that gets you closer to that. It, it, you're, there's no way you're really pushing for the title unless you have the depth and the talent. And so it's th- these, goals are going to take several seasons and lots of good decision making and lots of investment and um you know paying for the Aubameyang mistake is a reminder that we're still not out of the woods you know it's it's these these mistakes that happened in seasons past come back to bite you two or three years down the line um and and so it's like like i said the the consistency of decision-making has to be good for several years to really have those things pay off for you. Uh, It seems like they're making good long-term decisions as far as getting young players that will um, either come into their prime with Arsenal or be sold off with, with some value still. But 
the decisions that you make along the way, like how you play those players, how you develop those players, when you sell those players, all those things have to happen just right for this project overall to come off. And so there's lots of things that can go wrong. Uh, it doesn't mean you have to get every single decision right, but um, you know, 90% <laughs> has to go right, probably. Um, yeah, so the, as far as the future goes, it's there's still a lot left to be written, obviously, and uh, this season is just a, a stepping stone in, in that uh, path. So I, I'm anxious to see how this goes. It, it could accelerate if we get into that top five or top four. Uh, but if not, I think this there's uh, an idea that it, it is going to be a little bit longer, and that's okay. I think the the ownership and the the management are understanding that this isn't going to be a, a quick thing. It's going to be a process, and um, you know, it sounds like Arteta and Saka are on deck for getting some contract extensions. So I think there's an understanding that keeping this team together for as long as possible is, or at least with those two to build around, um, is key to continuing this, this project into the future. And that's, uh, hopefully a sign of some stability. I think this, this team could really use that and, and hopefully they can find the right pieces to build, build around Arteta, to build around Osaka and, uh, get to that next tier because I feel like we're, we're still on the outside looking in. We're still uh, in the w- wishing we were in the conversation. Um, and it's nice, nice to feel positive about the team, but I want to feel confident in this team and that that's still not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, we, we have the building blocks for it. It's just really trying to take advantage of those building blocks while we have it. I, I mean, I think patience isn't good and believing in the process is good, but I also want to have the reality to check of at some point we have to have results for this patience and these building blocks. So like this can't be an infinite rebuild process. There has to be a point where this comes to fruition. And right now I feel hopeful about it, but I, I, do have reservations and I, I, I want to, I, I, at this point I want to see constant progress. I don't want to see treading water regression. I think those would both be bad signs for the future. I guess there's multiple ways you can go about that. You know, the, the rebuild process, like on one hand, it's, it could be a rebuild that continues under one coach or you continue the carousel of coaches and have that constant level of rebuild, which, um, can be good if you have a, a infinite amount of money to spend, but it doesn't doesn't work for everybody. So I think if you're if you're Arsenal and you're trying to do it under a a, a limited budget, then continuing with Arteta makes a lot of sense um, because at least you have that that consistency there um, rather than having to wipe the slate and start over every couple seasons. Yeah, I mean, like Chelsea has its own model of uh, right constantly refreshing the coach and refreshing the rebuild, but they also have unlimited amount of money essentially. So, yeah, I mean, you look at everybody else who who is constantly firing coaches and they just don't make progress. Mm-hmm. You know, and you might get a one or you know you might get a coaching bump that gets you a good season, maybe two, but that long term stability 
it's difficult if you're if you're firing your coach on a regular basis. I mean, I think you have to look at Watford and Wolves on the other side of the example of those types of like teams that are constantly firing their coaches, constantly chasing the dragon, as it were, and they're both teams that are on the uh, decline as opposed to the incline. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's that's all I have to say this week. I'm I'm hitting the wall. <laughs> there's only so much you can talk about when there's no play on the field. Yes, but we're close. We're going to be back soon enough. I, I don't even know when when's our next game. I've Thursday been... the seventh. Question. Yeah. Mark? No, I think you're right. It's uh. So we have one more episode before it, but. Yes, just one more. Um, yeah, the uh, the 10th. Oh, 10th. Thursday the 10th. I knew it was a Thursday. Wolves. Yes. So next, next week. Um, but yes, one more episode. So we'll see what, what kind of news comes out of the Arsenal camp between now and then. But um, maybe we'll get some an idea of what Arteta is going to be doing with this team. If any, if any changes are coming about, but I, I'm confident they're going to come back refreshed and ready to get set things right. Cause I, I we got, we got to put January behind us and, yeah. and get, get hit the ground running in February. Exactly. Forget about the, uh, what was it? Two goals. <laughs> right. <laughs> January. And, uh, regress to the means or progress to the means. Cause you, yeah, really, sure. Yeah, we'll progress call, to we'll the we'll moon. Go. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call it that. Um, I got a C in statistics, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, C's de- get degrees. <laughs> they did in that case. All right. Well, that's, that's pretty much all for us this week. Uh, thank you for, for listening and joining us. Uh, if you haven't already review and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast, uh, join us on Twitter. We are at WFN London. Send us an email at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can go to anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. We have a Discord, which you can find a link to in our uh, show notes. And we'd love to have you over there for Arsenal chat and questions and all kinds of things. Um, and of course, we got to thank Bobcat for giving us an awesome theme song. Their website is bobc.at. Uh, their album is No Course to Follow, and you can find that and much more uh, on their site. So go check them out. That is all for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show. <laughs>